Hey all, today's episode is brought to you by Virginia Commonwealth Roasters. That's right, my coffee company. So if you like the freshest, best cup of coffee you've ever had in your life, you need to head over to vcr.coffee and pick up a bag or find out where you can get a bag here locally. I look forward to roasting the next bag of coffee that you buy and the next cup of coffee that you drank. So I appreciate it. Check it out, www.vcr.coffee, and get yourself a bag today. Welcome to another episode of The Urban Roaster. Tonight's guest is a close personal friend of mine for almost 20 years. We worked together in technical production, and though we had different paths in life, It's yet another example of how small the world really is. In this interview, we talk about the music and entertainment industries, his path through life, and the trials that he's been enduring throughout 2020. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Great friend of mine, Mr. Kevin Poole. All right. Well, we're live. Hi. What's going on, Kevin? Man, it's uh, this is really surreal. I wish people could see what we see in this, because <laughs> this is uh, this is as crazy as as it gets in this post-apocalyptic mess that we're in. And yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody's kind of making it up as they go, and this is no exception. Uh, this is <laughs> this is a table full of cables and uh, and a makeshift office. It's. In a, it's a mess. But it's crazy. It's, it's been an interesting journey to get here. Yeah. It's, We've known each other now for 15, 16 years. Yeah. Maybe yeah. more. Long enough to where I remember when your baby girl was a baby girl. Yeah. Who so. has now graduated. She starts college in like two weeks. The baby girl that you're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I don't either. Mine, mine's 19 months old. Yeah. So, so the oldest one, she calls me up uh, and, you know, people obviously don't know where I am or where we are right now. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, but she calls me up and says, dad, I've, I've got a date. She's 18, you know, and I'm like, finally. Yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, she's, she sets up this date or whatever. I bought a ring uh, doorbell during my, uh, my last couple of months of my life. Yeah. And uh, so the doorbell rings, it alerts me on my phone and here's this strapping young boy standing on my porch. And of course he has no idea I'm eavesdropping on this conversation he's having with my daughter (laughs) as he picks her up their first time meeting and stuff. It was very funny as well. It should be. It was, it was, you know, one of those proud fathering moments of like, I've been preparing for this my whole life and I'm, you know, secretly cleaning my gun as I'm watching him. Sharpening the blades and, you know, so it was, it was surreal. It was funny. Well, that's crazy. I mean, it's, it's been a couple of years since you and I have even seen each other in person, I think. Yeah. Well, we spent time, uh, in Texas. We spent nearly eight years in Texas. Yeah. And so that took me away from the East coast. And then, uh, we've been back in Virginia since 15. So almost five years. Yep. Uh, it'll be five years next month. As a matter of fact. And so, uh, yeah, you know, which, you're, 
Which is funny because 15 is when I got off the road. Yeah. So just in time for you to get up here and then hit the road again. And then hit the road again. So let's back up a little bit, though. Yeah. Um, Anybody that's listening to this can read the description and know a snippet of who you are. Right. But we've known each other. We've been close friends for a long, long time. Let's back it up and... Tell the story of just how you've gotten to where you are work-wise. We'll, we'll go into the personal stuff. Yeah. But work-wise, there's, there's so much to unpack there. So. there yeah. So uh, uh, I grew up in church, and Dad is a musician. And so Dad needed a cable boy, and he taught me how to wrap <laughs> cable. And um, Over-under, of course. Over-under, no other way. Nothing on your shoulder. And if, you know, yeah. I, if my boy ever does anything like that, poor Wesley, he, he would not live to tell another day. Yeah. Uh, it's roadie code. But so, uh, dad taught me how to do this thing. And, uh, we were in a, in a church in South Florida that gave me opportunities to grow. Um, and then one day this, uh, ministry team from Liberty university comes through this church that I was mixing at on Sundays. I was making, you know, 75 bucks a Sunday or whatever. It was awesome. <laughs> And, uh, ah, the early t- days, yeah, tiny little church, you know, uh, that's what I get paid now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, back then I was balling, you know? Yeah. I mean? <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, uh, uh, that led, um, this, they were traveling with a preacher boy who was in seminary and this guy in the middle of his sermon says, uh, where's that sound guy back there? And literally I, I, I kid you not says, I've got a job for you at LU. So I talked to him afterwards and he said, uh, I'll put you in contact with people. I'd never heard from him again, but it got me on the track to pursue that course of action. Um, and it was enough for God to say, you need to go this direction. Yeah. Um, so anyway, went and did that, ended up on a ministry team, uh, ended up, um, going through LU and becoming a staff member there and <laughs> led a team of people. Which is when we got to know each other. Which is when we got to know each other, you know, and I look back at that time and if you talk to the people who were a part of that time, um, we were in growth from like uh, where we had nothing Mm -hmm. into a legitimate production house. Um, And then those people all kind of split off and it was, you know, 2018, we kind of started to go, uh, I'm sorry, 2008, we started to go our own ways. Yeah. And all of these folks that we had trained um, went off and did really big deals, really big jobs uh, all over the country. Oh, yeah. I mean, and uh, we'll talk more about that. But, you know, we started hiring each other. And um, so I left in 08. I went and did church uh, TD work for about 10 years. Yep. And um, once I, I finished my time in the church, um, it didn't end well. And that was an important thing for me because it was a way for, um, for God to test my faith. And when it didn't end well, I was never upset at God. I was upset at the church and, um, it had to make me refocus on a lot of different things, but, um, it took me on the road and it gave me opportunities that, uh, I'd never thought were going to happen. Yeah, you were, I remember when you left your last post down there in uh, 
Hampton Roads area. Yeah. And hit the road full time. Yeah. So, uh, well, it wasn't first off, you know, I mean, transparency, uh, if nothing else, I'm an open book. So, uh, (laughs) you know, that, that, uh, that fateful day, uh, the church let me go and, uh, I won't tell you why, but it was nothing moral. Um, it was political and, um, they may not agree with that, but I can make a case for it yeah. anyway. So, uh, humbled and broken and, you know, not looking for another church job. Six days later, I ended up, uh, in Portugal <laughs> and, uh, at 10 30 in the morning, I got a phone call from one of the guys who used to work for me at LU. And he said, Hey, I've got an opportunity. Where are you? I said, I'm at Lowe's buying mulch for my mother-in-law. And, uh, he's like, I need you to get home and start packing. <laughs> and uh, six hours later, I was on a plane. So 1030 in the morning, I was on a plane at four. Sounds like a crazy Dutchman to me. It was a crazy Dutchman. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so uh, I ended up, um, ironically, I ended up going and doing Eurovision for three weeks. And um, they brought me down there to be an operator. And uh, long story short, um, the the Portuguese had issues and... <laughs> The reason I was brought down there ended up getting axed in the show. And so they said, you can go home if you want. I said, heck no, I'm in Portugal. I'm here. Yeah. Let's do this thing. I'll go grab you guys coffee. I don't care. I'm a part of the team. And they were happy to have me and they were happy to train me. Yeah. And it was. And it opened more doors. It was priceless. Um, Just my willingness to, to take it on the chin and go down there and then, you know, uh, persevere through a, a complicated situation I had nothing to do with. Um, and it, it did, it created relationships that later took me to China twice. Yep. Um, and it it put me on jobs that I never thought I would ever end up. And so that started six days after I was let go and it didn't stop until I said it needed to stop. And, um, (laughs) it needed to stop because my son needed me home. The, the road is a, is a beast. It was, um, you know, in the church world, it's pretty easy to hide your failures, but on the road, like your failures are, are 100% in your face. And, um, it was not the easiest of time. I was not as good at certain things as I thought I was. And it was just a really hard lesson to learn, but it made me better. And thankfully the teams that I were, I was involved with, uh, allowed me to do that and, uh, and keep going even through failure. You know, I've got a friend that I was hanging out with the other night that, um, he spent a long time working. SOCOM and JSOC and the special forces world, Mm -hmm. um, interfacing with the three letter agencies and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And we were, we spent a while last the other night talking about how similar, his experience on the road doing special forces, you know, Mm -hmm. different operations and that kind of stuff was to the roadie life, Mm -hmm. to what we experienced. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think people understand because people show up, they see these concerts, they see these fantastic shows. I mean, you did 11, 11 in China, which Mm -hmm. is a huge deal in the production world. I don't think people in America have any clue the massive scale that it is. They don't know what 1111 is in China. Um, Most of them would 
I think most Americans uh, might know what AliExpress is. They would know maybe what Alibaba is, perhaps. Yeah. They would not know who Jack Ma is. Um, <laughs> and they certainly wouldn't understand, you know, this made-up holiday that the Chinese have made in order to justify buying gifts for themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what 11-11 is. Yeah. Um, but, you know. It's Prime Day on crack. And then, I mean, yeah. we had. I mean. So, to put it in perspective, um, the Super Bowl halftime show yearly will pull between 100 to 110 million people, million viewers. And that is, by American standards, it's one of the largest television shows of any given time. Uh, the eleven eleven show aired for 800 million people. So it's eight times the size. And America <laughs> has no idea. Eurovision had over 500 million people watch the finale. And that was just one night. That's yeah. not the breadth of the show that lasts, you know, weeks. So there's a different perspective in it. You know, traveling abroad taught me that, that uh, as much as I love America. We're small fish. Very much so. We, we're we very small fish. And, and we don't know it. We don't have a clue. Yeah. It, it's a phenomenon mm -hmm. where I think we're in a bubble. Totally and, myopic for sure. And I've dealt, I didn't spend as much time out of the country doing the audio end of things, but I dealt with a lot of artists that were doing European tours, doing African tours, doing different things. And America was not a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, for them, it was another stop on the road mm -hmm. and it wasn't by any means the big stop. It was very humbling to be the American in a completely European crew. Yeah. Several times over, a completely Chinese crew. Um, and, you know, Europe and China don't look really well on us. And I don't think that, um, I don't think that people in America understand the perception that the rest of the world has towards America, not in a broad sweeping sense. Sure, there's some of that. Oh, yeah. You know, but, um, but by and large, we think a lot of ourselves as Americans and, um, and we don't have a clue. I, I think some of us could, <laughs> I think that there's, there's enough traveled, but I don't think it's enough on our radar that we understand the perception that we create as Americans. But I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit trail in a that's, podcast in and of that, itself. That is a long um, story. You know, we could spend hours talking about we that, could, but I mean, in the experiences that I had, uh, there, I mean, I don't know how I would ever recreate those. I certainly didn't deserve them. Uh, <laughs> and my experience level and my, my resume or whatever, I was really, um, I was really given grace yeah. by a lot of, a lot of teams to be a part of. And, uh, some people might argue that, but you know, well, and we both, we had this innate, uh, gift where, I mean, the people that we got to work with is insane. Yeah. The talent yeah. is so much head and shoulders above yeah. what either of us. And I think everyone would agree. The shows that were put on over the years that you were involved in, that I was involved in, that all of our friends were involved in. Yeah. All those guys. The sum of the parts grossly outweighs. Sure. A lot of it, you were just on the ride, you know, and you just happened to, to be there. I remember one show I did, um, 
and you know, one of the roadie things is you don't drop names. So I'm not going to tell you who it was. No. But uh, I found myself walking across this bridge, tra- trailing behind a group of roadies. And um, it was a very, it was a very big show. And um, one that everybody listening to this would know. And I'm walking across this bridge and I, I got out of, there was an entourage of three 15 passenger vans yeah. of, of crew just for this show. <laughs> and um, so uh, we're walking across this man-made bridge onto the deck for our load in that started at midnight. Cause we loaded in as the headliner, we loaded in overnight yeah. and then slept during the day and then went back and did the show uh, to headline the show. So uh, I'm walking across and the guys I'm walking behind are legends within our field. And <laughs> I was a nobody like, and uh, I went and did my job and got the attaboy and uh, that was great. But my gosh, I'll never forget that moment of walking across that bridge and being like, how did I get here? Yeah. And like somebody please come and relieve me. Cause I, I'm not sure I can pull this off. Well, and you probably, you'll agree with this. I mean, the road warrior term is so true. And it's, it's a lot of times hard to take in the magnitude of what we were doing from the road. I, I had a show, um, for the PGA classic. Um, one of the stops, they wanted to do a concert series and I mean, we're talking 40,000 people a night. I was there for eight days straight mm-hmm. for three days worth of shows. And I think I got maybe eight hours of sleep mm-hmm. in eight days. Yeah. And at the end of it, I was so exhausted. Yeah. And you go back for more and I'd go back for more, yeah. but it's, it's surreal because you're sitting there and you're so tired and all you want to do is walk away. Mm-hmm. But then you're looking at that crowd of people and you're going, we're doing this. So we, we are making this happen. This is a great segue to, I'm glad you said it that way. Um, you know, in COVID, uh, the production world stopped on March 13th. Completely. Well, anyway, <laughs> I'm laughing because the, uh, the, there was a knock at the door and fantastic burgers showed up and we paused for a minute and ate dinner. Yeah. You know, uh, it's crazy when you're in a small town and you find something that is as good as something you find in a very large town or a large city. <laughs> but that, uh, that yeah. burger was good. If y'all are ever in uh, Charlottesville or Rutgersville in particular, there's a place called 106, and you should try the hamburger because it is worth it. It is fantastic. <laughs> I I would say top five burgers, easy. I, I mean, definitely state of Virginia, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple states that would uh that would contest that. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean I've had some good burgers over the years, I'm not yeah. gonna lie. No, it was fantastic. Anywho, so we were talking about um just the way everything has been was so surreal while we were in the industry. Yeah. Over the last few years, I've gotten out of it. I roast coffee full time. Um I'm yeah. very happy to not be on the road, you know, 300 and some odd days a year. Yeah. You've gotten more to an office job, but yeah, COVID. COVID, you know, um, so we ended up, uh, I ended up off the road in March of uh, 19. And so um, uh, I started working for a company 
and um, started using my college education finally. <laughs> and uh, overrated, it's, yeah. No, well, it's been <laughs> it's been wonderful. Um, you know, it, really, I came off the road uh, because my son um, really needed me home. Yeah, and so thankfully, like I said, you know, we had all of these friends. And the friends um, kept hiring each other. And so a conversation started and a friend of mine who owns a company hired me and uh, then COVID happened. And um, what turned into, or, you know, you, you go into a job and you, you think that it's going to be one way. COVID completely flipped it on its head. Yeah. And um, we had to make really, really tough decisions to stay afloat. And we have... Um, we have 26 families that account for over a hundred people who are dependent on our decisions. And, uh, COVID was just, it was very, very difficult. So, um, unfortunately though, the production world, uh, which is what we were talking about right before our burger showed up, um, you know, the production world shut down March 13th and shows just stopped 100% in the course of less than seven days. Um, every tour that I had heard about, Every large show that I had heard about um, for the foreseeable future had just stopped. And the industry still is shut down. Yeah. And um, so thankfully, you know, we've been in a position where we've had some work and um, we've hired roadies that have been on tours with us that have nothing to do with our, our vocation now or our, our industry now. Um, but we've been able to hire them just to keep them going. Which is fantastic. I mean, it's been... So it's been seven months now. Yeah. And suicide rates are spiking. I mean, it's insane. Mm-hmm. I've got so many friends out of work. Yep. Um, and I don't think people realize how much it affects such a giant industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, anything that you do uh, that's entertainment driven you know, if you are told you can't go do something, you figure out something else to do, you know, but the livelihood of the people who are out there uh, are not being represented. And it's so much more than just people who put on concerts. You know, it has shut down production houses. It shut down bus companies. It shuts down catering companies. Um, all of these things that they have no other way and they're being told that they can't. It's not that they're they're not willing. They're being told that they're not able. Yeah. And there's no... There's no recourse. Right. There's no plan out of it either. And I think that's where the depression comes in. You have this entire group of people who want to work. And they're being told that they can't work. And whoever that person is, whether it's the government or whether it's whoever, whoever you are, is saying to a bunch of people... I'm sorry, you have no way of paying your bills just because we're not going to allow your job anymore. So that's a hard thing for people to swallow and they don't see an out. The out is not coming anytime soon. No. And most of the production industry is pointing to after the summer of 2021. So imagine that your you know, income stops for 18 months. Yeah, seven months. And then they say, by the way, we might resume in a year. Yeah, and it just with no no plan and no out, and that's I what just, they're dealing with. I, it's one of those things that I struggle with. I'm so fortunate to be out of that industry. 
Yeah. Because it's it's not something I would want to be in right now. I feel so sorry for the friends of mine that are in the industry. I know a couple of them have had the opportunity to go back to school, mm-hmm. you know, and be trained in another trade. But we're talking about people that have literally spent from the time they were children mm-hmm. growing in this industry, fine-tuning their skills, and making a name for themselves. You know, many have, um, we in business terms, we use the word pivot all the time. And uh, a company would have to, they, they hit a barrier and you have to pivot, right? Yeah. And so uh, you're exactly right. The production houses, um, the production people, some of them have. Um, there's some great stories of people who have figured out how to go through a different course of work. But there are many who can't. And uh, it's, it's alarming. Well, and it's a, without overstating it, it's a trillion dollar a year shutdown when it comes to that. I, I, I don't mean, know what that number is. I would assume that it's way it's more massive. Than, yeah, I would assume it's way more than people are actually calculating because I don't believe that they're calculating past, you know, one or two degrees of separation from that industry. Yeah. They don't, the ripple effect is far greater than what they're considering. I just saw today that... um I think it's Regal movie theaters decided to shut all of their temporarily shut all of their facilities. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, that has nothing to do with production, but if you think about, let's go up four stages, right? So they're just the people who are, are displaying the movies, but what about IATSE who helped create the movies and the actors and people say, Oh, well the actors are rich anyway, you know, not all of them, uh, no, a lot of the extras are making, you know, day rates, but they're not making, you know, million dollar contracts they're making. Well, and, and one of the parts that I've seen and it, it bugs me is the number of actors that do have a lot of money and they're sitting here basically telling people mm-hmm. stop being afraid to shut down and stay home. Yeah. And I'm going I'm glad that you're able to do that, mm-hmm. but those of us that are out here still working, still mm-hmm. absolutely working our butts off, we we don't get that opportunity. We can't say, you know what, I'm going to take the year off. Yeah, you know, and to the credit of, um, I'm sure that there are that there are others, you know, but there are some highly publicized um, musicians who are A-list artists who have kept their crew on and paid and paid all the way through Absolutely. this entire thing. And, you know, kudos to them for being family people because they're supporting families. Yeah. Um, and I, I could tell you 10 different artist names that I know are still keeping payroll. And that's probably just the drop in yeah. the bucket, you know, of what really is going on. But you're right. I have not heard of, uh, the film industry supporting whatever, Maybe they are, and I'm. They might be, and I'd be happy to to find out that I'm wrong. Yeah, you know, they might be, but I haven't I haven't heard of any. I haven't heard Paramount saying, you know what, we're going to pay our crews. Yeah, I I haven't heard these actors saying, I know I got paid five hundred million yet last year, so I'm going to pay it back. I'm the guys that make twenty bucks an hour. I mean, we know that Disney uh, just did a round of layoffs last week, and um, from what I understand. It wasn't all theme park related, like most people are saying, because the theme parks are, are operating. So one would have to assume that, you know, some of that is 
Disney film and, and all of the production house that they are responsible for. And most of the layoff was in California, which is where all of that resides. So, yeah. Uh, we're seeing it across everything. But California's that's its own dumpster fire. We don't have enough time to go into that one. Yeah. Um, I heard, I've heard some massive numbers on the exodus of California. I mean, yeah. we know I, Ben Shapiro has moved his 75 employees mm-hmm. to Nashville. Um, Joe Rogan has moved his entire operation to Austin, Texas. Mm. And those are just two right off the top. Sure. Yeah. How many, how many businesses are leaving as fast as they can? I mean, we've heard stories of New York city, um, and you know, now realtors in New York city are trying to, um, sell off what would have been office space. And, uh, I heard a story a couple weeks back of, um, office buildings being turned into hydroponic, uh, greenhouses where they can actually grow vegetables. And it wasn't anything to do with, uh, with cannabis or anything. It had to do with creating, um, ecosystems, ecosystems that would keep the land viable, even though that there's a building there, Yeah, you know? So, um, anyway, they, life is changing. Man. Yeah. The, the word pivot means so many things to so many people right now, uh, because of COVID, but I'm very grateful, um, that for a couple reasons, uh, and this is a pretty good segment switch into this, but, uh, I did not know when I came off the road, um, that I was coming off the road for more than one reason. I told you about my son, yeah. uh, and that need and all, but it turned out that my health flipped on me not long after I came off the road. And, uh, that was, you know, a pretty big situation. So yeah. I mean, let's, let's get into it. That was, so you spent your time in the, in the industry. I mean, we've that, that's how and why we have such a longstanding bond. Yeah. But then, um, this year has been a ride yeah. for you even take 2020 out of it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you're, when you're on the road, um, most people don't understand too, when you're on a tour that you don't sleep for more than three hours at a time, <laughs> you might sleep multiple times for three hours yeah. in a day. Right. But you never really sleep more than three to four hours, uh, in a good situation. So, Ever. uh, add on top of that, you eat catering all the time. So, uh, your diet is what it is. And then, um, there's, any amount of alcohol, uh, or any, you know, whatever. And so you, you end up in a lifestyle where you can blame health problems on just your environment. And, um, <laughs> yeah. you, you're lifting a whole bunch of heavy equipment. And so things not feeling good, arms hurting, legs hurting, head hurts. Like it's all That's called a Tuesday, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I went on for a long time. And I still hurt. Yeah. I've been off the road since 2015. Went on for a long time uh, dealing with things that I thought was just occupational hazards. Uh, It turned out that it wasn't. Uh, I had a four and a half centimeter, basically the size of an inflated golf ball uh, (laughs) tumor in the back of my head and um, didn't know it. And all during my time on the road, I didn't have insurance. So had... I not come off the road for my son, gotten into a company that did have insurance, um, I would have been faced with a very different scenario. So, 
uh, in February of 2020, I ended up um, having a, what I thought was a migraine and it affected my vision, my peripheral vision on my right side cut out. And uh, that was when I got concerned and went and saw a doctor and uh, they very quickly told me that this tumor needed to come out. And so August, 2020, I ended up um, having brain surgery to remove this tumor. <laughs> so, which if you do the math, Based on today's date, that was about eight weeks ago <laughs> uh, that that this tumor was removed, and um, it's and you've been back to work now for a yeah, month. I was out of work. Uh, I they they were able to keep me off of. I work from home, you know, so my yeah. my office is is at my house um, right now. My office is here at this kitchen table at a house in Charlottesville because I'm going through radiation right now. <laughs> uh, every day for, for the next, uh, five weeks or so. And, um, but it's completely changed my perspective because, uh, I had grown off the road. I had grown to where I really didn't like people very much. And then compound that with what happened with me and the church. Um, the last thing I wanted to do was invest in people anymore. And, um, so then this tumor happens and all of a sudden people come out of the, the woodwork in my life. Um, people whose relationship I had neglected and, um, I hadn't kept up with and all of a sudden they care and they're, you know, supporting me and my family and my wife and cooking us dinner and sending us money and all of these things that I certainly didn't feel like I deserved because remember my emotional state was like, I really don't care for people anymore. Yeah. So, um, Going through this, I've had no pain. So that's incredible. I mean, they put a titanium plate in my head. I got a you know a hole that's two inches <laughs> square in the back. Can't of Can't really head. go through a metal detector no. anymore. And you know, all of these things. I have never been admitted to the hospital up until this in my life, and then every procedure you could possibly imagine, I have been through since uh, June. Wow. And so uh, now there's a little bit more of a of a why. Why did this happen? And, um, you know, I can, I can, uh, imagine in my mind why God would have me go through this. Uh, then I found out that there was a coworker who works with me, um, who actually has the exact same condition. And so his is not large enough where they need to operate yet. Mine was large enough where they did, but he watched how God provided for me and my family through that entire process. Um, he's not a Christian, you know, so for him to see a Christian's reaction to something that is, he's dealing with, he's been dealing with it longer than I have. His just isn't growing. Yeah. Like mine was. That's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, cause he's watching his future, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a unique purpose now, uh, of why, you know, it's one of the things you wanted to hear the story. So here you are. Yeah. I haven't seen you in years. You know? <laughs> so even um, so much as a night like tonight that we wouldn't have done because of something that I had no control over and God's using it for something. So, you know. Well, and it's just, I mean, this is one of those moments where I look at the circumstances and the way things have unfolded. Yeah. And I mean, if COVID hadn't happened, if everything else hadn't happened and been humming along like business as usual, I, 
it's one of those moments where you go, okay, where, where would I have been? Yeah. If I had stayed on the road, it very likely, there was a night, uh, ironically in Vegas and, uh, <laughs> we've got some memories. We've got some memories. <laughs> so suffice it to say that the night in Vegas, uh, is, was, um, was something. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, that night was the pivotal point where I understood that something probably wasn't right in my head. Yeah. And, uh, then I started to notice things on the road when I bent down to wrap cables or whatever, you know, the equilibrium would go away. That was the start of it. And, um, yeah. When I, was that? Um, uh, February of, of 19. February. I was, uh, okay. yeah, I was prepping a show, uh, in Vegas. It wasn't even, it wasn't even for a show. It was just prep for tour. And, um, and that was really, that was the start of it, but I, I didn't have insurance then. Yeah. So I wasn't going to go get checked out because if they had found something, it would have escalated and I wouldn't have been able to get pre-existing coverage, you know, or anything stupid like that. So, yeah. uh, but I, what would have happened, Clark is I would have had an aneurysm and the tumor would have done something and it would have been over. And it would have been over. You would have been mm -hmm. dead in a hotel room. Yeah, probably. And and, you know, you look at all these people that have died on the road mm -hmm. over the years. And they blame drugs or alcohol. And they blame or drugs or alcohol. And yeah. so many times it's not that. Yeah. It's the road warrior life is real. Yeah. I mean, it, and I'm not trying to say that as anything but seriousness. It's hard. Yeah. And, and you work well beyond your physical capacity, I think. I mean, I think, too, that it depends on. Uh, you can get to different levels within the road lifestyle. Yeah. And I just air quoted for everybody who didn't see me air quote road <laughs> life lifestyle. Um, but you get to different levels where you're treated differently, you know? Uh, but the days are long, you know, and um, temptations to, to live wild are there. And wild means anything. People always assume that that means something, <laughs> you know, one way or another. But the days of the old rock and roll lifestyle that people think when they hear roadie, that doesn't exist anymore. It's so corporate no. and it's so professional. If you, if you miss that mark, um, and you can't do your job, you're fired. I mean, that's just the way it is. You, you gotta have your ducks in a row, right? You, you don't, it's not hookers and blow every night. No, as much as we would, you know, no. yeah, as much as we would go for that any day of the week, All that was shows. one time in Vegas. We'll talk about that yeah. later. That, <laughs> No, but I, the glamorization, I think, is part of the reason that a lot of people look at the shutdown as not a big deal. Yeah, you know, I mean, the glamorization for me was, uh, you know, that 10 years that I spent in the church, I watched my friends get the tour bus gigs. Mm -hmm. And whether it was, you know, CCM, uh, whether it was mainstream, whether it was whatever, uh there was a lot of envy in my heart about that. Yeah. You know, and these were people who either worked for me or I had <laughs> helped, you know, develop part of their career. Don't get me wrong. They had the hustle. I mean, you know, Oh yeah. You, you're a self-made man on the road. Um, but it was, it was hard to not look at that and be like, why, why so surely I could have done that. Surely I could be there. And so that insecurity eats at you. And, uh, it does, it's just the way it is. 
Well, so February of 19. Yeah. February 19, I'd come off the road and, um, it was, it wasn't long after that. It was right, right around March, middle of March of 19. And so, uh, thankfully, you know, this, this job opens up and, um, now not only am I, am I home, I'm off the road. Uh, and this has created a whole nother dynamic that I didn't see coming, but you know, when you're gone for 18 months, um, six weeks, eight weeks at a time or whatever, your relationship with your spouse changes very much. Mm-hmm. And then you get home and you're home 24 seven and they want to kill you. Right. And <laughs> there was, there was a lot more for us to figure out as husband and wife, um, because I had been gone for so long. So now they had created routine at home without me Yeah. to make things happen and nothing was bad, you know, but I disrupted all of those plans and now I'm working <laughs> from home. So it's not only like I'm home, you're I'm home, home, home. Yeah. I'm home all the time. Yeah. So there was no respite for her. There was no respite for the kids. Uh, there was no respite for me. Yeah. You know, and here's a roadie who's very <laughs> comfortable, you know, just going and doing his thing and, uh, and couldn't do it anymore. Well, and so when I was talking to my buddy the other night, the special forces guy, we were talking about how he, he struggles with PTSD mm-hmm. hard and in, in discussing it, we found this very similar correlation between his time traveling and that kind of stuff and the stresses that I felt when I was on the road doing fly dates and doing this and doing that. And I'm sure you can attest to this. It's when you're on the road constantly, whatever that stress is, whatever that that bad feeling or headache or whatever you get, you can kind of dismiss it at the, because you're on to the next stop. Mm. You've got your job to do. You're busy enough to where you don't think about it. And then you come home and the silence hits Mm. and all of that stress, all of that baggage is then there. And especially with, you did it very similar to the way I did it, where when you got off the road, you were there all the time. Yeah. Well, first let me say that, you know, um, that I'm a fat dude and there is no way I could relate to a JSOC special forces dude. Like, Oh no. From that, I mean, from that (laughs) aspect. Well, and and from that aspect, I don't necessarily mean that. I just mean Um, the fact that we, you know, you're in one city one day, you're in the next city the next day. Sure. A lot of, even a lot of military guys, they go to their base and then they're stationed at their base or they do a deployment for six months. Yeah. But with his position, the, the weird part was when we were talking about it, how he wasn't one of those guys that did a six month deployment. He was one of those guys that would fly and then being different stops, like a week here, two days here, a day here. So it was that constant motion, which is the same, same as what we go through. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to some of that. Um, I can tell you that, uh, when you do one off things, you know, you're in the same place for three weeks, um, or however long, uh, a tour bus will take you to a different hotel every night or a a different stop every night. Um, you know, so yeah, I think you just adapt 
And yeah. um, I can tell you that I enjoyed the one-off stuff um, where you would go in for three weeks at a time to, to do a big show. Yeah. My China stuff was that way. Portugal was that way. And um, those kind of gave you, you could still do a routine. A little bit of rhythm. Yeah. The difference for me was um, as, a, as a secondary operator, you know, I'd be supporting a primary or whatever, and they would put me on night shift because if I flew east, my body would be more adapt to that 12-hour cycle in China where I would stay up through the night. Yeah. And so um, it was able for me to, to keep with the American side, and my phone calls would line up with family <laughs> rather than it being 12 hours off. You know, so there's some advantage. And you just kind of work through those things um, when you're doing that kind of stuff. Uh, it was harder in a tour bus because you'd be in one time zone for a week and then you'd be in another time zone <laughs> and then for another, a week. And... and you never could get back on schedule with your family of when you were going to call. And then it would never line up as the show day would go. And uh, so that was, that was more complicated. But, you know, coming off the road, uh, we really had to figure out how to do life again. Yeah. And um, I think that's the big thing. And then this tumor thing happens and you know just when you think you've got life figured out um my poor wife had to deal with you know a a guy with a tumor and yeah we never saw that coming and and you don't know what's going to happen and right i don't think every day is a battle i don't think that she's admitted uh some of what she fears um i know that going into they quarantined me because of covid two weeks before the surgery yeah and that was one of the hardest two weeks of my life um, because they, they wouldn't tell me what the success rate was in the surgery, but they told me I couldn't go out of my house. So if you've got a bucket list, you know, <laughs> and all of a sudden they say you can't pursue your bucket list anymore. So you've got to sit for two weeks and just be, yeah. it was terrible. Yeah. And bless her heart. She had to put up with it. You know, um, it was, it was terrible. So I don't ever want to go through that again. And the likelihood, you know, I'm almost 40 years old and um, the doctors tell me uh, the radiation should stop the tumor growth. But in the six weeks post-op, it had already grown. And we found that out um, three days ago. And so the tumor is still growing. And with even with radiation, we don't know what the effect will be for another couple of weeks. So the likelihood of me having to have another surgery or this tumor affecting the rest of my life is high. It's growing daily. I, yeah. Literally. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest thing is just understanding, like how do you help people now? And why, why am I going through this? There has to be a reason past me because all of this, all of these circumstances that I've dealt with, the provision of this house, People who just want to cook dinner, you know, and I mean, I, there's some reason. What, what do you say to someone going through what you're going through? I mean, what, I mean, it, it really depends on where your faith is, you know? Uh, cause I can, I can have a faith conversation with somebody. Um, I actually got called out, uh, by a friend of mine when I was on the road because he would see me post things about my family and he would see me post things about gigs, but he would never hear me talk about Christ on Facebook. Yeah. And I was pretty, um, there was a reason for that, right? It's the same reason why, 
um, for a long time and still continued, I won't necessarily tell people that my degrees are from Liberty University. <laughs> and, you know, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. Uh, but that is, it's the same situation. So if you're a faith guy, I can tell you what Christ means to me, even through all of the stuff that I've been through, whether it's health related or whether it was church related, all of those things. But if you don't have faith in Christ, um, then, you know, my answers sound silly to a lot of people. And, um, but it's what I believe. Yeah. And I think people respect, um, the fact that I believe it, that I don't push it on them, that I don't say, you know, I'm never going to tell somebody that, you know, God put a tumor in your head for a reason when they don't believe in God. Yeah. I mean, that's just, (laughs) it's just silly to do that. Um, but I can tell you how I've been provided for. And so some people will listen to that and some people won't and that's okay. Yeah. I love them no matter what. It's one of those things. I feel like it, it brings out the realness at the end of the day, having to see your own mortality and, and really that's what it is. Yeah. It it It, makes you not care about all of the, excuse my French, the bullshit in life. Yeah. Um, you know, be for people who don't believe, um, like you have, you have to care what you say. Yeah. And I think too many Christians will just say what they think people need to hear. They don't care what people, um, I don't even know how to, I don't know how to unpack that, but there's, there's a difference, you know, there is, there's a difference of, of telling somebody, um, that you love them and then telling them that God's hurting them, you know, and there may be a, a spiritual reason for something, but if you're not a believer, how can you receive that? How can you? Well, and I, I think a lot of, a lot of Christians are afraid of that realness. Yeah. Because maybe. I think a lot of times we want to say God is good, but we don't want to say, even in the shit, God is good. Yeah. Even, even when the absolute crap hits the fan. Yeah. So we were, you and I were talking about tattoos tonight. Yeah. And, um, so back, um, uh, 14, 15, uh, I went through a real rough patch and I needed a reminder, uh, or I wanted a reminder of what I believed in. And it led to my first tattoo. Yeah. And, um, the irony behind it is, uh, Basically, it's a Celtic cross on my on my arm, and it's got my favorite uh, hymn, which is basically the gospel wrapped up in four phrases. <laughs> and uh, what nobody knows, though, is the dude who uh, who tattooed this on me uh, was a Satanist, and so a Satanist wrote the gospel on my arm. <laughs> and so, very few people can say that his name was Randy, um, and when he was tattooing me. Like he had pentagrams hanging from his neck. He had all kinds of pagan uh, symbols all over his body tattooed on him. And he's a scary looking dude. Yeah. And he was uh, a great artist and a friend of mine recommended him never knowing, you know, how this would come to be. <laughs> and, um, but that was my first one. And then each of, each of my other tattoos have some kind of significance to my life. Um, but they all tell a story. And so 
even through like treatment and radiation, I was telling the, the nurse the other day, she commented on, on my arm and I led her through the entire story. This one started here, this one went here. <laughs> and it's, you know, that has become, um, it wasn't a Christian testimony. I'm telling her my life. Yeah. And my life just happens to include my faith. You know, and I think that people miss that. That's the, uh, the authenticity you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. And people will care about my story because the story might interest them or, you know, whatever. But um, at the end of the day, the reason I wanted to do this with you when you asked was because now there is a bigger story with this tumor thing than I could have ever thought. And now love for people and wanting to to tell people that there's something else going on in my life has to do with them seeing Christ in me. Oh, absolutely. Has nothing to do with the church, frankly. Um, <laughs> Cause again, you know, I still have wounds from church, not from Christ. And I think that's a very ongoing thing. I think that's sadly, that's the reason a lot of people that grew up in the church have turned away from the church. Mm -hmm. I, they haven't turned away from God. Exactly. In many cases, they're closer to God than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. But the church is, I mean, even pre-COVID, the church is at such a dynamic stage right now where it's calling out for a renaissance. It's time to stop this false fakeness. And if, if we can just take a couple of seconds and, you know, I, a lot of, I see a lot of churches out there over the last five, six years, 10 years that have the no perfect people allowed t-shirts. Hmm. And then you go and, you know, it's the models with the designer jeans and everything, you know, and everything is so well orchestrated. Hmm. It, there's not that true authenticity. The yeah. authenticity is us sitting down on the back porch, smoking a cigar, having a whiskey, talking about what's truly affecting us, talking about what's really happening and, and what God's doing in that. Yeah. We thankfully, uh, after I was let go from a church, um, it took me about four months before I wanted to even consider going back to a church, it did, again, it did not affect my faith. It affected my desire to be around Christians. Yeah. Um, I had a very similar experience. So Yeah. So thankfully, uh, I, I did end up, um, we Googled uh, a church, my wife and I, and we <laughs> went and tried it and it was what we needed. Yeah. And um, to show you, you know, uh, we never thought that we would ever work for a church again. And, um, to show you that it can happen, we ended up at this church and I ended up serving, uh, for free for the first time in my life. It was absolutely the best thing in the world. And I understand volunteerism now. I never understood it when I worked for a church yeah, because I always got paid and never had a perspective like that. Um, we ended up at this church and, um, about a year, just over a year later, my wife ended up on staff and I didn't, I didn't want any part of it, Yeah. but you know, for her, her, her wounds were just as deep as mine. 
uh, from what had happened. She was terminated because I was terminated at this church. And so she never blamed me, at least not um, verbally. Yeah. But emotionally, I would say that there's no way that she didn't. And yet God redeemed that. And, and sadly, justifiably so. Absolutely. I, you know, absolutely. And I even called that out and said, you know, you, I, I get it if you do. And she said, no, I don't. Anyway, uh, so through that, you know, we just, uh, this church that we're at, where I was going, I'm sorry, that was a rabbit trail. Um, the church just finished a series called Stripped. And basically, it was the idea of stripping down religion off of the story of Christ. Yeah. And it was super powerful. They took it a little bit from the Lutheran standpoint um, and what that meant. They went through the five sola. And okay. ironically, yeah. my wife has got the five solas tattooed on her arm. <laughs> and uh, so it was you know, something very near to us that we had walked through. Um, and I would encourage anybody listening, if you don't know what the, the five soli are, you should go and look it up because it's very, um, I, I don't want to misquote it and I don't want to mislead you, but it's something that strips down and strips away religion and denomination and takes you back to <laughs> faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. And that's what it's about. Yeah. So, you know, even going through things like that, um, and what we're dealing with, you know I mean? that points us back to what we should be focusing on. And well, and that's part of what I'm, I'm beginning to find in this, this adventure of a podcast is it's opening doors for me to have those conversations with people. Mm -hmm. Um, for anybody that's listening, I'll always be clear on my stance, but this is not a Christian podcast. It, yeah. And, and there will be people that you agree with. I don't care what your stance is. I promise you there will be people that you disagree with on this. Um, and that's the beauty of it. And I'd be happy to have a whiskey or a beer with any of you who disagree with me. And we don't have to talk <laughs> about anything that you disagree with. We can just talk about road life, road life and whiskey and, and you know, whatever, <laughs> uh, but, I think that's the, the thing that America is missing too, is that um, people are not going to feel the same as you. They're not going to think the same as you. And that's okay. It's all right. And it's okay to coexist with people and love people regardless of whether they agree with a standpoint you have on, on an issue. Whether and it's religion or political or, whatever. or you know, I don't like you cats. Know. You know, neither and, do I. So we can agree on that. I mean, I, but I bought a cat because my kids wanted a cat. But <laughs> we have four. I don't know why. Like you, you could, can see the sadness in my face. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, we, we have four. Um, yeah, there's just, there needs to be authenticity mm -hmm. regardless of religion or creed or whatever. I think if we can start to see each other, be who you are, you know, for um, who we are rather than yeah. for what we, you know, on a tour bus, when you're, when you're traveling with a group of people, uh, and you've got, you know, a tattoo of a cross on your arm, um, it's, it's pretty hard for it not to come up. Right. Yeah. But some of the best faith conversations I had was with all of the people who absolutely disagree with everything that I do as a Christian. 
yeah. how I would vote the issues, <laughs> you know, that I would see. Um, and I don't mean necessarily across, uh, you know, political lines or party lines or anything like that, but just things that I don't agree with or things that I feel scripture says something on. And I believe that, Yeah. you know, but that's okay because those are the same people I still, I'm hiring them because I love them and they're great at what they do and I want to support them in as much as I hope that they support me and they have through this stupid tumor thing. Yeah. So. Kevin, it's been a blast. Man, you know, how long did that take? Like, <laughs> how, how long have we been talking? We've, we've been going for over an hour. Wow. Yeah, so we're going to close it out. Yeah, let's go get some whiskey. We're going to go have a whiskey. All right. Thanks, You guys Mark. have fun. Thank you. Guys, I want to thank you again for checking out the Urban Roaster. I hope you guys loved this episode. If you did, make sure you share it out with your friends on Facebook, on Instagram, on all the social media stuff. Tell your friends about us. Help us grow this podcast. And if you feel so inclined, make sure you go to www.urbanroaster.com and help us out. Sponsor us. We have a sponsor tab right there where you can donate either one time or once a month. And it'll help buy more gear and pay for the things that help make this podcast great. We've got some more awesome interviews that are in the process of being recorded, even as I speak right now. I'm looking forward to it. I love you guys. I appreciate you. And I'll see you on the next one. Have a great day. Come to the